0: So So we have announcements.
1: As always. First off, we are slowly approaching the end of the inner game of music. Mm -hmm. We desperately need ideas on what to read next. So if any of y'all have any ideas, I think right now we're leaning towards a nonfiction something, but would really love something a little less dry.
0: Yes. A little bit (laughs) more, maybe a little bit more closer to the times yeah definitely Um, (laughs) yes if you want to share those ideas you can go on our facebook group fiddle and pipe forum you can request to join we'll accept you the reason why it's private is because me decided to keep it private before announcing it and i can't change it because facebook sucks
1: We are also live on Anchor and Patreon for support. Mm -hmm. You can go to anchor.fm slash fiddle and pipe to do listener support, or you can go to patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe. On Anchor, you can pick out of three options to support monthly, and then on Patreon, it's a $5 per month. You like listening to the podcast. It would help make our podcast better.
0: We're just going to be doing extra things. Like, we're going to have a outside podcast
1: that just kind of talks about us our lives maybe some bloopers or outtakes from current episodes
0: yeah and you will get a shout out in our episodes if you subscribe to our patreon speaking of supporting
1: we really would love to grow as a podcast if you enjoy listening to this podcast please share us on social media share us to your friends and family rate us on any apps that allow you to rate or review you can follow us on instagram for more up-to-date information i am at bm ross music and i'm at cat flinch flute
0: there is a charity benefit concert for the people affected over in palestine that is being hosted by frozen Phil rose we have some guest speakers and some performer a lot of performers actually there's thirty musicians yes Mm -hmm. we are playing in this and 30 of us are performing i'm going to be watching this will be on june 12th 12 p.m pacific time and 3 p.m eastern time if you want to know more information i would go on frozen fiddle roses page on instagram
1: without further ado here is episode six of fiddle and pie podcast (music) Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle.
0: I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe.
1: And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two
0: classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book,
1: take a seat, and tune in. Howdy, y'all. Hey! This is Brittany Ross and... Katherine Flincham. Should we assume that people know who we are at this point?
0: I mean, if they don't know who they are. Have y'all
1: actually been paying attention to what you're listening to? I don't. I, I also <laughs> don't. That's why I edit. Girl, if I had a dollar for every time you said like. If I had a dollar every time you said um. Or cleared my throat. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to take a. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> so, okay. so this has been a hectic week for both of us.
0: I'm so ready for summer. Actually, when this is posted, I'm probably gonna be taking a week off.
1: (laughs) Don't we all need a from DJ? Don't we all need a vacation though?
0: Yeah, it's more just like a week where I'm kind of recovering from this crazy freaking
1: year. To this week, I finished uh, our taxes, and then yesterday I had to take. If y'all follow me on Instagram, you will see that I have three beautiful felines. One of them is an anxious little boy, and he's a black and white tuxedo cat, and his name is Figaro. He was having some problems peeing yesterday, which with male cats is an emergency. So I had to go to the emergency vet and sit there for basically five hours because they're still doing COVID safety procedures, I guess. And I just, I sat there, and they're doing urinary tests on my cat, and I'm like, just found out that he just reacts poorly to stress, and he's just anxious, so.
0: I'm glad that he's okay. <laughs> Me too. And hopefully a little less anxious. Oh,
1: he's so dubbed up right now, I think he's fine. So, we got our first review.
0: Yeah! I will read it to the masses. I'm- Only one episode into Fiddle and Pipe and loving it already. From swapping bad gig stories to sharing teaching insights and strategies, this podcast is fun, informative, and highly entertaining. 100% recommended by another scribbler. That's what they're called. Whoever you are, another scribbler, thank you.
1: Thank you, whoever you are. And to all of our other listeners, we are slowly gaining traction. If y'all want to keep just throwing us reviews on your streaming services wherever you can, and throwing us ratings.
0: Please do that. We would highly
1: appreciate it. Because I know it does get us access to more listeners. So, we are getting into Chapter 6, The Power of Trust. Just trust yourself, Catherine. I sometimes (laughs) trust myself. I think that's good. Trust is the third inner game skill. We've already gone over Will and what was the other one? Awareness. Awareness. <laughs> I'm not aware. I've never been me aware. Me neither. <laughs> it's too early. Uh, yeah, Catherine's two hours. Be- We're actually recording in the morning, which is great because I'm on Eastern time and Catherine's on whatever the hell Colorado uses. Mountain time! <laughs> Pot time, who knows?
0: <laughs> I don't it's know. Fine.
1: It's fine. I don't it's know why fine. you're two hours behind me. It's so absurd.
0: Because I I'm in the middle of the country. <laughs> were you, like, in central time for a very long time when you were in Milwaukee? Like, yes. did that ever make a difference
1: for you? And it was awful because I still taught some of my students in Georgia virtually. So I had one student who, he's actually graduating, Aww. like, in a couple weeks. And I want to cry because I started teaching him when he was in seventh grade. And he he played baseball and he could only have lessons in the morning before school. Which means since I was since I was an hour behind, I had to wake up at six to teach him at six thirty, oh! which is which is awful. no I, I remember I was just sitting there at my desk in like my pajamas and my cup of coffee. That's was, how
0: I did when I was <coughs> teaching seven a.m. lessons. It's rough.
1: It's it's okay once you start getting into the routine. You're I, personally I'm one who I like getting stuff done early. I would rather which kind of is horrible for my career path because I feel like as a musician, most of your work is done in the afternoon and evenings. Yeah. I would, I'd rather just get stuff done early. I love having the rest of the day to do whatever I need to do. Uh, so trust comes from hard work and knowing that, quote, there is music inside you. This chapter is a little hokey. I feel like the whole <laughs> trust concept a little hokey, but I'm glad that there's a whole chapter about it because he really breaks it down into making it less like, oh, you just got to believe. This is something that I struggle with a lot. That's why I called you out earlier.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because sometimes it does feel a little hokey. But if I'm playing something and I've been working my butt off towards it, I need to trust myself that I will do well. Later on, what he says is, what is the worst outcome that could happen? Yeah. I mean, I think after reading this chapter, that's what I've been thinking about. So even if I don't have enough practice time before I have to do a rehearsal, I have to trust myself when I arrive at that rehearsal, you know how to play music. (laughs) Just go with it. Um, Whatever spots you may miss, it's okay. Just go back to it later.
1: It's basically just trusting that your hard work hasn't gone to waste. Exactly. Which I feel like is a great thing to pull out of this chapter he does make it a point to say that it is not blind trust which i felt made it less hokey Mm -hmm. uh that this this trust does come from a a place where you have for lack of a better word earned it and built up to it Mm -hmm. the barriers to trust trust is not learned you either trust yourself or you don't
0: i think that's everybody struggles with that though
1: oh for real and there's there's not much of a <laughs> there's not much of a middle ground.
0: No, I think I've definitely struggled with this because I tend to get caught up and this is probably something I just developed when I started undergrad. I always felt I could always do better mm-hmm. or I'm not good enough and so I need to prove it to myself that I am good enough and half the time it just I never felt. Like I was.
1: Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Are you someone who struggled with low self esteem as a teenager oh, or yeah. child?
0: Absolutely.
1: So I th- and I, I think that there is a lot of crossover in what your self esteem is and trust beyond normal self esteem. Because I feel like anyone who's kind of going through preteen and teenage years just inherently has self-esteem issues. But if you have more self-esteem issues than that, I think you're gonna have a harder time trusting and believing in yourself. Exactly.
0: I think this was what I struggled with throughout my entire life, being quiet, being shy, being not as open and confident like I wanted to be. And I think that reflected a lot in my flute playing, especially when I started college, cause I was a new kid or not a new kid. I was a freshman. <laughs> I mean, you technically were. Yeah, and I was also, my playing abilities were a lot, I mean, I thought they were decent, but they weren't at a level that I could have been.
1: (laughs) You, a preconception that you had that a music major should be at.
0: But I also didn't know what to, what the hell I was going to do when I was in college. I was trying to figure out, is music something I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't something that I immediately wanted to do when I enrolled, to be very honest, and that that's a whole other story for later. <laughs> but yeah, I've dealt with a lot of self-esteem issues throughout my life. I think now I'm trying to work through them. As I'm an adult, look
1: at you. I still have well, work I- to do. <laughs> We're all trying to work through our shit as adults. And we all are. That's why I feel like every single episode we have therapy.
0: Go to therapy. Yes! It's life-saving. <laughs> I talk about it with my therapist every single time I talk to her.
1: Yeah, my therapist has literally changed my life, and I am so grateful. So, back to the inner game of music, because honestly, we are awful We about just staying on subject. <laughs> we're both drinking coffee, so I feel like we're both amped. <laughs> So, Barry Green, God, I love his name, talks about (laughs) obstacles to trust. There are three of them. Uh, First one is worries about your self-image. He uses the example of playing with an obvious sauce stain on your shirt. The second one is feeling that you are, sorry, feeling that things are out of your control. Uh, And he uses the example of playing with an instrument that you're not familiar with. The third one is doubts and fears about your own ability. Mm. And then the example is playing a piece beyond your skill level.
0: That that resonates with me a lot. <laughs>
1: that last one. Mm-hmm. The exercise, because we cannot have a chapter without exercises. Discovering the barriers of trust. I put page 79, so I guess that means I got to go to page 79.
0: I'm going to go to page 79 too. Let's see.
1: Sometimes I put the page numbers in if the instructions are too long and I don't want to type everything out. Oh,
0: discovering the barriers of trust. <laughs>
1: Sometimes the three obstacles aren't clear-cut in certain situations, but can usually be boiled down to one of the above three. Which barriers do you encounter most often in your ability to trust? Do you tend to have problems with your self-image? Are you concerned about the respect your peers feel for you? Are you concerned about what the audience will think of your playing? Are you worried about... Sorry. Are you worried you will be a failure? Thought of Catherine. Immediately. The second one... (laughs) Do you tend to doubt your control of the situation are you stuck with a flat or rigid interpretation are you unable to loosen up and play creatively create create oh my god creatively are you uncomfortable taking risk in your performance number three do you tend to doubt your abilities are you worried you just don't have it musically do you suffer from performance anxiety honestly who doesn't are you doubtful of your capacity to perform under pressure Personally, I thought mine were probably control and doubt. I, I do have performance anxiety like every single musician out there. Um, and I think my I worry about my response to it as in, you know, I know this, I know this piece, I know I can play it, but can I do it under pressure? Mm-hmm. And how will the symptoms of my anxiety affect my playing? I feel like I also have a little bit of the control one, too. Um, and I think sometimes I just get in my own head and I'm just unable to really enjoy the moment. And maybe that's a little bit of a control thing. I'm not sure. I,
0: I related to a mix of all three. Basically, are you concerned about what the audience is going to think if you're playing? That's definitely one that resonates with me. And then I think when I practice... That's when I feel, am I in control of the music? Cause am I, or does it
1: control me? <laughs>
0: yeah. And yeah. I want to play. I, when, I, when I play, I want people to be intrigued. Not, well, I guess in this case, Very Green says, do you feel stuck with a flat or rigid interpretation? <laughs> yeah. And that is something I always try to think about when I'm practicing, especially when I'm towards a stage of the piece where I can add a little bit more musicality to it. Yeah, performance anxiety. Sometimes I doubt myself when I'm in at the moment.
1: I feel like performance anxiety is something that everyone has, though. Mm-hmm. So when I approached this exercise, I was trying to think of things that were inherently my issues. And I honestly kind of had a hard time. I feel like mine is control, but it's not necessarily the controls that are... Or sorry, the options or not the options. What am I trying to say? The examples that he gives. I feel like my my personal thing with control is not having, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess not having control of how I'm going to react in terms of nervousness and anxiety. So that's kind of a mix of the control and doubting abilities. Okay. So I feel like it's just be. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's beyond just having performance anxiety. Like I'm worried about how my performance anxiety will impact my playing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, at least in my experience. If the performance anxiety has taken control of everything, I'm mm-hmm. not going to play as like I would be in a practice situation.
1: You just start getting in your own head, and your one is just completely in charge of the situation. Yeah,
0: and it's definitely happened before.
1: Mm-hmm worrying about what others will think of you music is a performing art it is a performing art he says to give yourself characters and emotions of the music that you're playing ah it's literally a performing art you literally it's an art that you perform it's similar to actors yeah um honestly i tell this to students all the time i remember uh sheree the cello instructor at kennesaw i was either watching her do a, a cello studio class or she was doing a chamber class but she was saying that there's never a moment on stage where she is herself yeah she's always acting as someone else and Helen the violin professor at Kennesaw has said the same thing and I tell this to my students all the time if you've ever gone up close to an actor or a thespian or anyone who does any of that kind of stuff their makeup is gaudy it is awful But it looks great when you're in the audience, and it looks great on camera. Everything has to be over-exaggerated. You are not playing yourself. Mm -hmm. It's the same with us. It's the same with dance. It's the same with theater. It's the same with basically any art.
0: It's the circle of art.
1: (laughs) The circle of art.
0: I would even... It's all correlated. Really, Yeah, I would even
1: argue that visual artists probably do the same thing, because they are not always painting what they are feeling or expressing or going through.
0: I think... And this is what I did in undergrad. (laughs) So, again, I was trying to decide what the heck I wanted to do my freshman year. I really had no clue, and so I just kind of, like, did other things. But I took a theater appreciation class.
1: Did you learn to appreciate theater?
0: Yeah, you learn a lot. There were moments where we had to kind of go out there and... Did you act? Yeah. Like, it was only for class. It was only for class. It was very interesting exercising a different kind of skill set still related to the arts that wasn't music in front of a group of people that I did not know. I think it's important that we as musicians kind of go out there and explore different realms of performing arts. Just that way we can apply it when we actually play our music. I think we just get so caught up in our own shit. I'm just going to say shit. Mm -hmm. because that's what we do.
1: A lot of our episodes are starting to be explicit because we cannot stop swearing, so it's fine. We're adults. Mm
0: -hmm. We just get caught up in our own shit that we tend to lose sight of other things out there, but I think we should kind of dive into a little bit of acting.
1: I would venture to say that you uh, subconsciously act in most things you do. Yeah. Think about, like, this podcast, for example. Catherine and I are still ourselves, but we are more exaggerated versions of ourselves. More, more amplified versions of ourselves. Like yeah, this.
0: if you met me in person, I probably wouldn't be, unless I was at the coffee shop.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you met me in person, I would not be like this. I, I'm actually pretty introverted, and Catherine's also pretty introverted. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's amazing that we have stuff to talk about for hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Barry Green states, don't express your own personality. Quote, let the character of the music speak through you and to accept yourself as the interpreter of the composer's music to let go of any worry of what people would think of you.
0: This just kind of got to me. Uh, Kato Havas, is that how you pronounce? You're a violinist, you should know this.
1: I don't know. I've never heard of this person, to be completely honest. Okay. The great violin teacher and author of Stage Right. Kato... Maybe it's Havas. Havas. Maybe, I have no idea. You can probably... Google a pronunciation.
0: Yeah. But I really liked the quote that said, The player needs to be able to forget about himself, she writes. This is when real communication begins. For with the elimination of the self, he is able to reach the very core of the music and is free to transmit it. I really liked that, because I tend to get in the way of myself when I play, and my self one kind of just takes over, and I know that the music is not as C- great.
1: Kato have us. Kato have us. Is that- Apparently. Okay. I'll just listen to, like, a recording of Yeah, But
0: I really liked that
1: quote. The goal in music is to eliminate the self.
0: Because then we are able to put our full potential of the music in there once we Mm -hmm. perform it.
1: Barry Green talks about the feeling of being out of control, that the feeling comes from micromanaging yourself. And there is this whole battle between self one and self two. Some I don't understand. I just like shorthand my notes so much that sometimes I don't understand the context of what I wrote. I wrote some awareness, but also trusting yourself to play, quote, the correct way. Oh, so basically it's okay to be aware. Yeah. Like you don't need to completely eliminate self one, but you got to let yourself two come mm-hmm. through. Gaining self two control. Basically, what I just said, there's nothing wrong with control, but self one's control tends to be micromanaging, which makes us tense and nervous. Trust self two and yourself to allow all your practice to come through naturally. Trusting that your brain and body know what to do with self-interference, or sorry, without self-interference is very important. It's basically a vicious cycle, and I put Yehudi Menuhin, quote, who's another violinist, our control is best when we are least aware of it. Doubting your own abilities, everything boils down to doubting yourself, which is kind of addressed in the last section, so just don't doubt yourself, you great. The best and worst that could happen, this is what you were talking about several minutes ago, usually we blow the consequences of actions away at a proportion, whether it's good consequences or bad consequences. Like, for example, I just drink a cup of coffee, and an example of that would be, like, the best situation is that I feel energetic and ready for the day, and the worst possible scenario is, like, I'm gonna just blow out my ass.
0: Yeah, that's me on a daily basis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I just use that an example, because... I have my... Catherine, this is a beautiful mug that you gave oh, me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I love it. Usually the best and worst result is not realistic in our heads, and in reality, neither are overwhelmingly good or bad. So, I don't know. This is this is literally not just music. This is. I feel like this is a life lesson. This is a crucial yes. life lesson.
0: Like, the worst that could happen d- is not as bad as we probably think.
1: Yes, and it's definitely a case-by-case basis. For example, if you're like, I could... Do you want me to give an example? Um, I'm trying to think of something unrealistic. Are you? Do you have one? Oh, I have
0: a realistic one.
1: <laughs> oh, well, here's here's like an unrealistic one. It's a case by case basis because you could be like, oh, I'm gonna cheat on my partner and it will be fine, but you know your partner is probably gonna leave you. Probably not a good decision. <laughs> yeah. So some sometimes your consequences are not, you know, best and worst situations are not blown out of proportion, but usually they are. What was your example? Your realistic example? Well, for
0: me, it was more like, this week has been very stressful for me. (laughs) I think Thursday night... What happened Thursday?
1: I don't remember what
0: happened Thursday.
1: That's when I I called you. Yes. That was the day I called you.
0: I literally did not stop working Thursday until 930
1: and I had to beg Catherine to send me the episode that she was editing so I could do some work <laughs> and take some off her plate. Well, I I was
0: I spent a good portion of Thursday just working all day, and. I was just so overwhelmed, and I asked Brittany, hey, can we record another day and not tomorrow morning, Friday morning? Because Friday, I had a very long day as well. I was teaching. I had to go back to work. I had a photo shoot I was doing later in the day, and I just asked, hey, can we record another day that's not Friday?
1: And the worst... In your head, were you thinking... That I'd be a big old bee about it. Well, the, yeah, I was, like, at first... Wait, what? No, I'm just kidding!
0: <laughs> like, I was like, the worst that could happen is Brittany saying, uh, are you too busy to do this podcast? Blah, 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 blah. That's, like, the worst thing that was on my mind. But I knew that, but I had to tell myself, she's not going to tell me that. Because she knows I'm just overwhelmed right now at this moment. It's not gonna be forever. And the best thing that could come out of this is that we actually do a different day, which is today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was my realistic situation in that moment. And everything turned out okay. I'm still here. You're
1: still here. We're still recording. This is something that I have, I think, subconsciously used to make some of my big life decisions. Really putting everything in perspective is is such a good life skill. If you're contemplating a job change, for example, the best that could happen is you get better pay and a better job, and the worst that could happen is you hate it and you go back to your old job. Exactly. Green talks about using one of the following exercises to help put things in perspective. He gives two exercises. The first one is reviewing the best and worst that could happen. So, you take any activity, you list the Worst outcomes, the activity and its consequences. And then you list the best outcomes, the activity and its consequences. Reexamine purposes and goals and focus them towards experiencing and expressing music. Um, and set self one's doubts and worries aside and trust yourself. The second exercise was the awareness inventory. So this is basically just a refresher mm-hmm. to review all the awareness scales that you have. Uh, to reassure yourself that you have nothing to worry about. Using visual awareness. Remembering how you look when you're playing confidently. Sound awareness. Remembering how music sounds when you play well. Feeling awareness. Remembering what practicing the music feeling feels like. Remember the feelings in the music. Oh my god. I can't read today. Remember feelings the music brings and what to express, acknowledging, and releasing tension spots in the body. I do this, and I know David does it, but both of us hold stress in our bodies, so with me... Um, if I'm stressed, I actually get like tension headaches, hmm. and if David's stressed, his like neck and his shoulders start bothering him a lot. So kind of remembering, not just with music, but remembering things that tend to stress you out. That tend to stress that you out you and physically. Yes, and just it's almost a form of meditation, I guess. Kind of acknowledging that it's there and just trying to let go of it, um, and understanding awareness, remembering your time that you spent practicing. Practicing and preparing, remembering, other times you played the piece well. I think these are great in a music context and a life context.
0: Yes. Personally. I I
1: agree. I think listing the best and the worst things that could happen over big decisions and over things that might give you a lot of stress and anxiety is a good coping skill. And a productive coping skill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that 100%.
1: So, chapter seven, Letting Go.
0: Let it go! This
1: was... (laughs) Uh, Sorry,
0: I had to sing it. uh, Well, I kept thinking,
1: letting go, letting go. Letting go. (laughs) Even though, I mean, you know, it. Can't hold back anymore. Exactly. Let it go, let it go. (laughs) Wow, I am so sorry. If y'all are still listening, thank you. So, this was a very thick chapter. But it was a lot of just exercises, so hopefully we can just breeze through it. Barry Green uses falling asleep as an analogy to let go and trust that self too can just handle things by itself. Falling asleep is something that you know how to do, but if your mind is racing, you are unable to do. Self 1 micromanages falling asleep and convinces yourself that you'll be unable to sleep. That's why you use things like counting sheep or reading or reading or focusing on your breath, focusing on your breath, or thinking of musical instruments to start with every letter of the alphabet to oh. distract yourself and uh, put yourself asleep. I usually don't do any of these things. I just kind of lay there <laughs> and try to think of nothing. You just stare at the ceiling and you're like, anytime now. I had a really hard time going to sleep last night. I don't, I don't know why, but I eventually did, but it took me longer than usual. And I started trying to count and I got bored of it really fast. It didn't put me to sleep, but I was like, one too bored. (laughs)
0: Earlier, it might have been, it might have been last week, I just remember I woke up in the middle of the night, and so I go to bed really early, like, nine o'clock, because I'm a grandma, but there are times where I'll wake up in the middle of the night because Woody will come into bed, and so I don't think he intends on doing it, because then he turns on, like, this crappy fan humidifier that we have, to make noise, and it just, it wakes me up.
1: Y'all need a white noise noisemaker. Oh,
0: I need one so bad. He also snores, which wakes me up too. It's not fun. Anyway, I just remember, I looked at the clock, I was like, oh, it's 1 a.m. I have to be up in five hours, and so I just, like, listened to the rain. I let the, I let the rain drown out what was going on, because it never really rains at night here, so when it, I'm taking advantage of it whenever it does. And I just started focusing on my breathing and closing my eyes and letting the rain just kind of drown out everything that was going on in my head, even though I knew I had to wake up in five hours, I knew I had a long day, and I ended been going to sleep. And then I woke up at 4.30 and I was like, okay, I'm just, it's time to get up. <coughs> I didn't have to for 30 minutes, but...
1: You might as well. You'd be crabbier if you went to sleep for 30 minutes. I
0: hate that feeling too. I hate it. When you have 30 minutes left. I might
1: as well get up. Yeah. Or five minutes. Oh, it's like, it's,
0: it's just, it's torture. Anyway, let's continue on.
1: We talk about the three phases of falling asleep. So you notice that self one is interfering and you realize you need to quiet your mind. So you actively make the decision to put your awareness elsewhere or your focus. You focus on something simple, again, counting sheep or breathing, which takes the attention from self one's instructions and doubts. And then you just let it go. You're no longer trying to cons- control the situation, self 2 takes over and you fall asleep. Uh, giving yourself to the music. So self 1 instructs us, corrects us and tells us why we shouldn't trust self 2. Um it, which leaves us with a widening gap on what our gut says and self 1. I'm sure that's you know the basic cause of anxiety at least in music. Mm-hmm. You give up your conscious uh, self one control and allow yourself to receive and transmit musicianship of self two. It's okay to still play some part in channeling self two, so you don't have to give up all your awareness and all of your instructions, but letting go gives spontaneity and power. big section eight ways of letting go and it's te- eight techniques on how to let go the first one is role-playing that's what she said
0: i like this one because i've done it
1: before a lot <laughs> he says imagine you're someone else specifically someone good at your instrument and preferably who you look up to when you are playing it just basically goes back to acting he provided a lot of Stories with these, but I didn't include any of the stories. I
0: think this one is kind of not a no-brainer, but and I think it's easy to do this if you're thinking. And this is just from my experience when I've done recitals, when I've played in concerts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of being my teacher (laughs) because essentially those are the people that you are very close to because they're helping you improve your skill set and. If you watch them mm-hmm. in action too, it's very helpful to kind of visualize that. So that's what I kind of think of myself whenever I'm in a performance situation. I think of being my teacher. When I've played Piccolo, I think that I'm my teacher Julie because she plays the glow in the symphony. And whenever I mm-hmm. watch her play, it's absolutely like magical. <laughs> I just really like the glow. I think this one is just very relatable to a lot of people, especially if you do this visualizing somebody that you look up to. And again, I think of my teachers firsthand, because, again, those are the people you have, I think, the most relationship Mm -hmm. with in your
1: playing. The role-playing exercise, you gotta play and sing the piece and try to get all the notes right, whatever piece he provides, which is a Mozart sonata. You gotta do it again and pretend that you are one of your favorite performers, your teacher or yourself 10 years from now. And did you notice the difference? Did you do this? I just hummed it. I thought of Hilary Hahn and how I always think I'm her... When or I didn't want to be hurt when I'm playing Bach and everything, slowly turning into a Hillary Hahn fan podcast. Slowly, slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is really important to kind of visualize yourself as someone else, or at least with some of the attributes of someone that you look up to. And I think it also goes back to acting in the sense that you are not really yourself. In a sense when you are playing. Exactly. Technique two is becoming the music. You're losing yourself in a character you are portraying musically or in the emotions of the music. This is really usually for vocalists because they are oftentimes acting a certain role literally in the stuff that they are singing.
0: I think it's relatable to also the role playing aspect.
1: Yeah, this is very much just a different side of the role playing. Yeah. The exercise becoming the music, you gotta play or sing each of the four excerpts. He has the Cradle Song and three excerpts from Saint-Saëns' Carnival of the Animals, each representing a different animal. Repeat each excerpt, forget about the technical aspect, allow your personality to merge with the meaning of each piece and see how it affects your playing. I've definitely done this in the past, not with these pieces specifically, but anything that has a, like an obvious meaning or an obvious character arc is very easy to do this with. It's, it's a little harder if you don't have a piece that's not character based and you have to make up stuff on your own, which is fine. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel, when I did this exercise and again, I just hummed it. Even with the first one from role playing, I felt more in tune and focused on the music. Mm-hmm. And less about, am I making the correct pitch? Am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, I just felt more focused and connected to the music. Yeah. Having that character in place. I
1: also find it's easy to do with, like, pop songs. If you're ever playing arrangements of pop music. Oh, yeah. Like Taylor Swift? (laughs) Anything. I, I think of, you know, the stuff I usually play for weddings. A Thousand Years by Christina. Is it Christina Perry? Yeah.
0: Isn't that the Twilight song? No. Yeah. Probably.
1: Yeah. So it's easy to hear a song that you have heard a million times and just imagine that you're that person playing it.
0: Oh, I imagine I'm Taylor Swift when I play her stuff.
1: I just, I imagine I'm Taylor Swift. Taylor, if you're listening. <laughs> we love you. Come join us when we have Hillary Hahn on. That would be fun. Taylor Swift. I would. Hilary Hahn. I would cry.
0: Actually, I would die of a heart attack not from stress just, just too much for you from, to handle just from pure excitement <laughs> and joy <laughs> if anybody doesn't know we love
1: <laughs> <laughs> he has another exercise called listening for character he says to play a recording of one of these tone poems by strauss don juan or oh god till Eulenspiegel. till eigenspiel yes Oh. Or Symphony Fantastique by Berlioz. Identify the personality of each phrase and hear the different themes. And just to familiarize yourself with different instrumental characters, I think that's the purpose of it. I love yeah. Symphony Fantastique. and It's so fun. And Don Juan, I hate. Because, scary excerpt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I can relate more of finding more characters with Symphony Fantastique. Because yeah. sometimes when I... When I listen to Strauss or something of his, it just seems like the music is the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get that. A lot of it sounds similar, and I'm sure we're gonna get some hate for saying that. I'm sorry, guys! Like,
0: I mean, Strauss is a great composer. I'm more familiar with Salome because we've played Salome. That's a f-
1: That was fun.
0: It's a fun piece, and it's cool, but there's other pieces that...
1: I know the premise of Don Juan the base yeah he's a womanizer right and he thinks he's hot shit Mm -hmm. isn't that it yeah and he's like look at me i'm done one yeah he's
0: done so many like tone poems yeah that's his thing i can't keep up with (laughs) yeah if i'm learning the piece then i'll go back and like relearn what is this about but right on top of
1: my head right now salome was fun i'm sure we could pick that out (gasps) technique number three is doing something familiar so this is going back to uh, is this one of the awareness things associating a musical challenge with another activity that's easy and familiar Mm
0: -hmm. the example
1: that he provides to clarify this was saying a three-syllable word for triplets or using a fishing analogy for bow tension
0: Yeah, I thought that was really cool.
1: I've never been fishing. I have a very severe shellfish allergy, so I would never eat fish, but I'm very interested in fishing and actually trying fishing. But apparently when you are fishing, you need to have a certain resistance on the line. If you have too much slack, the fish is going to go away. But if you Mm -hmm. have, if you pull too much, you might, it's like in the video games when your controller vibrates in Animal Crossing and you pull too soon and the fish wasn't hooked and then you come out with no fish.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been there, done that. That,
1: That's all my experience (laughs) with fishing is in Animal Crossing.
0: I haven't fished since had been like 11 years old. Mm -hmm. My dad's not like the kind of person that's like, let's go fishing every Mm -hmm. week. But when I was younger, I definitely went to a relative's house and he lives out in the woods somewhere in North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) So there's like a pond or like a little lake somewhere nearby their house. And so my dad would take me and my brother and we would fish. Mm-hmm. It, it was very long because it's patience.
1: Patience it's is like a virtue. A,
0: yeah. yeah. And I just remember whenever I did catch a fish, when from what I remember, and I remember my dad telling me like, you got to like reel it in, mm-hmm. but you can't like do it super fast. You just got to make sure that you are, it's like playing tug of war kind of. Yeah. It's interesting. I just don't do it a lot or have done it a lot. I've only done it maybe a few times in my life and that's pretty much it.
1: The exercise for doing something familiar. So, it's different exercises for different instruments. This one was a little strange.
0: Was it strange for you? Because it wasn't strange for me.
1: A little strange. Which is interesting, because he's a string player. He has different exercises for wind players, string players, pianists or keyboardists, and vocalists.
0: For me, at least, with the the accents, because it has a measure of an eighth note and an eighth rest mm-hmm. continuing... And they're accented eighth eighth notes, and you have to go, he's saying, like, think pa, pa, pa. I don't know. This is something that I did, and I I focused more on my breath and where where the pressure of my air was coming from. Mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot more. I think this is something that is pretty common that shows up in my music, at least, Mm -hmm. is creating these short accented notes and knowing where is my... Air coming from? Am I giving that emphasis on this shorter value mm-hmm. of rhythm? Mm-hmm. Am I in control of my sound? Mm-hmm. So I didn't find this to be weird.
1: For the string players, play the passions below with the off-the-string spiccato motion. Staccato eighth notes just repeated forever, and you're supposed to say bing, 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 which kind of makes sense. He talks about focusing on where you are in the bow and thinking about the motion that your bow is making. Whenever my students are learning spiccato, which for... Mm -hmm. I know we do have some listeners who are not musicians, so spiccato basically is when you take your bow and you kind of bounce it up and down on the string to create a short sound. Whenever I'm teaching students spiccato... I basically i'm like think about how your bow is landing a lot of students or a lot of people when they're trying to do spiccato it's kind of just like a straight up and down it's very forced and there's no control so it's the same motion that you make when your bow is on the string but you need to think of your bow coming down like a gentle u and not like a sharp v and the gentle u really gives it that shape to continue the motion at a consistent rate so I think that's what he's getting at by saying bing, 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 bing. Because it's, it's very cute and it's very easy to say. It just equates an easy activity to help your musical progress. Technique number four is letting the body take over. Basically, just going with your gut with no second guessing or doubt. He uses an example, because this one was like a little weird. He uses an example of a bassist who was trying to figure out where to use vibrato in the piece that she was playing. Mm -hmm. And Green was basically saying, oh, only use vibrato if your fingers are screaming at you. And by saying that, she was able to not overthink where she was using vibrato. And he uses another example about a bassoonist not being decisive about what piece they were going to play in a recital or something. I don't know if he ever said the occasion. But he was just like, oh, let your fingers play the piece or pick the piece. And she just kind of chose a piece. So it's just not overthinking, going with your gut. The exercise, uh, sing or play, swing low, sweet chariot, and notice the use of vibrato. Repeat, and purposely don't use any vibrato. Repeat again, and only use vibrato on the notes that demand it, and did you notice a difference? I like
0: doing this. I do this a lot in my normal practice anyway, because my teacher, when I was in high school, middle school, would make me play with no vibrato. Mm -hmm. A lot, and... Just because I think as a wind player, you're more aware of your intonation mm-hmm. and your tone. Mm-hmm. And that was something I worked on a lot growing up. And I noticed that too when I was launching a master class once, somebody kept making people not play with vibrato. These famous excerpts, these openings of great pieces that we have in the flute rep. And a lot of the players were like, this is very hard. And it is hard, essentially, because as a flutist, at least, we, it's so much easier to play with vibrato. But I like playing with both because I always like starting out with no vibrato to see what my phrase is, what my tone is, and then I like adding the vibrato after I have that all figured out mm-hmm. and finding where I want to add vibrato as they go along. Mm-hmm. This is just something that is very natural to me, and only because I grew up with that practice mentality. Mm. So, I don't know how it is for you.
1: (laughs) Vibrato is not something that I usually actively think about in this point in my playing or career path, but I definitely do understand when notes are, like, screaming for it. (laughs) Um, Screaming! Yeah. I don't really actually actively think about vibrato. I did this exercise, which is fun, because I am no means, like, a baritone or... bass. (laughs) Base.
0: <laughs> I was singing like, an octave up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. I had a an octave up. I was like,
1: and I'm like, kind of takes a lot of soul out of this spiritual. Mm-hmm. When you do actively think about where you're using vibrato, it it does come out a lot better. I've definitely yeah. met people who don't really think about vibrato, and sometimes it's good because it's just second nature, and sometimes it's bad because you're just. It's like salt. It's very easy to overdo. Or mm-hmm. especially with violin playing, there are three kinds of vibratos that we can do. We can do finger vibrato, wrist vibrato, and arm vibrato, and they all have different sounds. So oh. you need to think about what kind of vibrato you're doing for what kind of sound that you want. So if you're just kind of putting it on everything, it's like when you put ketchup on a nice steak. It' gross. I think, I guess,
0: for me at least, it's the speed of my vibrato. Mm-hmm. Am I going to be, like, super narrow, like, duh, or am I going to go duh, something like that? That's very metronomic, but...
1: Another exercise was letting your body choose the music. So next time you practice, don't follow your normal practice routine. Do whatever your body tells you to play. Did you learn more or less, play better or worse, and feel more or less musically involved than usual? I'm going to tell you straight up, this has been most of my COVID-19 practicing, just because I've kind of, I mean, I've been at odds with music, I've been at odds with my instrument, I'm slowly coming back to it, thanks to this podcast, but I, I've just picked up my violin, and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna play a little bit of Bach. Yeah, uh, no, no, I scales, think that's fine. No Mazas. no subject, just, just doing whatever feels right to kind of get myself back into it, and I noticed that... I do feel, at least in my current mental state, I do feel better leaving it than if I have a structured, regulated practice. I feel it's
0: easy to get burned out, and especially during this time. What helped me a lot was playing orchestral pieces that I've played before or never really dove into, and kind of sight-reading them, playing along with recordings to them going back to old pieces that I used to play, relearning them again. It really motivated me and it was really refreshing. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I needed because being out of school, you don't really have much to work
1: You don't have much incentive unless you have something actively going on to keep up with your practice routines.
0: And COVID really just kind of added more to that. Because we had nothing to do. (laughs) Yeah, and so kind of doing spontaneous stuff like that really kept me going in a way mm-hmm. and I should do more of this because I've been so much more in a routine within the last few months but it's I find it very refreshing to kind of just go back to something that you haven't played in a very long time or sight read something that you've always wanted to play mm-hmm. and refresh yourself it doesn't have to be perfect because no. I think that's my problem is Especially when you go back to old pieces, I sit there and I'm like, well, you should be really good at this because you spent so much time on it, but
1: nah. (laughs) I think a lot of letting your body choose the music, especially in this, like, practice routine context, is just doing stuff for shits and giggles and to make yourself Uh feel better as opposed to doing something with a structure and regulation with a certain set goal.
0: Exactly.
1: Technique number five is letting go to the environment. So you basically... Uh, Use the environment to trigger self to perceptions. You use things around you to inspire qualities you want in your playing. So if I was... I don't know. If I was playing and I was like... Oh, actually, I don't even need to say this because the exercise... Letting go to the environment... It's like
0: looking at a window.
1: Yeah. So it's like sing, play, or listen to America the Beautiful. Look around for scenes and objects to trigger deeper experience of what... The word beautiful means study whatever draws you in apply to other words of the song sing play or listen to it again and did you notice any difference i did this exercise and it was a beautiful sunny georgia may afternoon and i looked outside because we have a, a glass storm door so we leave our front door open when it's nice and we have just the storm door open and i looked across the street and everything is green here because it's warm and sunny a lot And I just saw my neighbor's maple trees, and, like, the sun was shining through them, and it was really pretty, and I'm like... And then I sung it again, I'm like, okay, I can have this visual imagery. I'm not a vocalist, so I don't really know if I notice any difference, per se, but mentally I definitely noticed. I was more involved, I guess.
0: I can relate. I think of imagery or look outside when I'm playing. I look out at my loft, and I see... Right now, I see green actually. Does not look like dead shrubbery <laughs> in Denver. I mean, it, it blooms a little bit later here because it's just it is. Altitude and cold. Yeah, and right now it's been raining a lot, which is good. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. We need the rain, mm-hmm. I, I believe, and I sometimes just, like, looking outside and seeing, like, the planes that go by my apartment and the angles of the, lo- the other building... The triangular triangular angles. yeah but you know and looking at the trees and the greenery and sometimes the birds or the squirrels that are rampant here <laughs> it's just kind of helpful to look at that and think about anything that is pertaining to whatever i'm playing that may be related to that mm. i feel like this is pretty straightforward though yeah personally yeah
1: i think so too technique six is letting go to overload so you overwhelm yourself So that way you don't have any attention left to worry about whatever you're worrying about. Your self one is forced to check out and self two checks in. Personally, I do this all the time because I am one of those people. I am a procrastinator, but I Mm -hmm. thrive under stress. So I will purposely set things off or purposely stress myself out. So that way I'm at my most peak productive and I get stuff done. That's who I am. So I basically, this is my life. I just tend to stress myself out a lot. But do you thrive under stress? Is that when you work best? It depends on the
0: situation, Mm -hmm. I believe. If I am stressed out about something that does not pertain to music, I tend to not focus on my music. Like, I tend to focus on that other thing and try to get it done. I do not
1: like procrastinating. Procrastinating stresses me out. I've done this since (laughs) I was in at least middle school. And it's not even playing, I would do it with homework, I would do it with projects, I would do it with whatever I had going on. I would wait till last minute to do things. I thrive under that stress.
0: Oh, I can't. I'm a planner. I have to get it done as soon as possible. yeah, I think that's just the way I am because if I procrastinate, that one thing is going to be on my mind forever. And it's not going to be helpful, so that's why I like to get things done as soon as possible.
1: Exercise, letting go to overboard, play a piece you're working on, and notice areas that need attention. Imagine a teacher or a conductor overloading you with instructions. Make a list of four or five helpful instructions. Forget about the list and play, and was self-too able to step in. I I do this all the time to my students. I'm sorry if any of y'all are listening. (laughs) I do this to myself. It helps me, mm-hmm. but not everyone functions like this. So I could see this going, you know, not well potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do it? No. Yeah. Okay. Technique seven is oh. letting go to the ridiculous. So you purposely look ridiculous, lack of self one imagery. Or sorry, self one image. Uh, I feel like we do this a lot in teaching
0: oh yeah, I don't care anymore. If I look ridiculous when I'm teaching or if I act ridiculous when I'm teaching to prove a concept or a point, I don't care. And I, t- and my students will laugh and I'm like, I don't care anymore. Like, who cares? The thing
1: that I thought of the most is when I'm teaching students how to hold a bow, or literally hold the bow at a, this horizontal, parallel to the floor, and I'll be like, okay, shake out your hand, shake, it, shake it out, shake it out, shake it out for Taylor Taylor Swift, shake it out. Okay. Yes, I need that too! So, okay, so <laughs> your hand is now, I don't know, eight inches above your bow, and it's going to be a spaceship, so it's going to dock. And if they don't know what docking means, then I explain what docking means. I'm like, okay, right ready, we're going to dock. Click. And, you know, your hand's on your bow at that point. And I'm like, okay, you know, at that point, your hand is, your fingers are draped over your bow. And then I am I say, okay, now lift it up about an inch or so. So I lift up about an inch and I'm say, okay, bend your pinky and set it on the bow. Bend your thumb and set it on the bow. And then your other fingers fall into place. It works. Oh, it works yeah. very well. And I use it even if I have, like, adult beginners. And it's just so absurd that people are just kind of like, uh, okay, and I follow it.
0: That's awesome, though. Yeah. Oh, I make faces. Because when I talk about lip flexibility, especially with our bottom lip, because we have a tube going against us in order to get a little bit more flexibility down here because we don't want to push back our bottom lip to where we're kind of doing this, like, weird smile, Mm -hmm. and it just causes a lot of umbership problems. I had this problem a lot when I was younger, and I was trying to fix it in undergrad, and I finally fixed it with, like, octave and harmonic exercises in grad school. Mm -hmm. But basically, what I tell my students to do, especially my adult students because they drive, Mm. (laughs) I tell them that if you want to, like, I mean, push your bottom lip against the tube and it's a little hard because, again, you have gravity going against you with a metal tube Mm. pushing, like, basically making you pull back. Mm. I like to tell my students, you know, even my kids, I just, like, look at them and I do, (laughs) like, make a puppy dog lip Mm. because what you're doing is you're you're flexing, you're basically mobilizing your your mentalis muscles in your chin and the bottom part of your bicularis oris. <laughs> I just know these weird, weird words and stuff. They're muscles. But I tell them, like, when you're by yourself in your car, I did this when I was delivering pizza for many years, I would just sit there and look at myself in my mirror and go, mm, 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 mm. because what you're doing is you're just exercising your kind of... Your lip Mobilizing. Muscles. Yeah, Your especially your bottom mm-hmm. lip, because it's easy, again, to pull back, and I just make these faces sometimes, <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, just make a puppy, like, think about a puppy dog lip first, mm-hmm. and then maybe, like, bring it out a little bit more to, like, Ugh. like a bulldog kind of lip. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I did this in undergrad a lot, so, <laughs> with my own teacher, <laughs> so... I just don't care anymore. I tell them, like, I know that you look weird, but again, that's why you can do it in the privacy of your own room. Yeah. Or your car. And I used to do it a lot when I delivered pizza, and I didn't give a crap if someone was looking at me at a stoplight. Because when I was at a long stoplight, i just look at myself in my mirror and go, Ugh. I can't do that.
1: So exercise, letting go to the ridiculous. I literally ran to do this. I was very excited. So, you got to lay down on your back if you have a small instrument. You got to play green sleeves from memory. And then repeat in jazz style or another style if you're a jazz musician. Uh, He says, did yourself, one, not want to do this? Did you do it? How did you feel? Did you enjoy yourself? What did you learn about yourself? I had a lot of fun and I had to stop it partway through because David called me on his way home from work and I actually missed the call because I was so engrossed in this and then I called him back. It was real heckin' fun. I don't know if I really learned anything, but I just enjoyed doing it.
0: I enjoyed it. I thought I did better with the jazz because I just felt more free and flowing.
1: Technique eight is letting go to the impossible. So you have no intention of succeeding, but you do the thing anyway and have fun with it. It's useful in types of crisis with no other alternative. The example that he used was, oh, it was doing tennis with Tim Galway, and he was supposed to stand mm-hmm. the net and hit every shot, even though it was really high, and he actually like hit a couple of them. The exercise, letting go to the impossible. You placing the excerpt that. He gives, which is uh, rumsey Corsacow's fly, the bumblebee, at a slow speed with accuracy, and then you play it again faster. What happened? Did you hit more than you thought?
0: When I went faster, I wasn't so focused on the notes. I was focused on my tongue. But I noticed when I'm focused on my du- my double tongue, and I'm focused too much in my du- double tongue, especially as I'm continuing on a passage, mm-hmm. not much, not so much starting it, but continuing on. Mm-hmm. When I'm so focused on my double tongue, then it, that's when I get tongue tied. Yeah. Because we're going or whatever way you want to do it. But I think for me, I was focused on my tongue because when I go taka taka tucka taka, I need to make sure when I go to that higher interval hmm. in the second beat, hmm. I'm going kataka because that leap just kind of messes me up a little bit. But I think I was more focused on my tongue and less about
1: accuracy. I do this a lot when I'm practicing the Don Juan excerpt, actually, is I will play it at... I haven't played it in a while... So I don't remember what speed I was lost at, but I'll play it at whatever speed that is, and then I'll increase it by something fairly drastic, like 10 or 15, and just try mm-hmm. to see what happens. And basically, it's a it's a good practice technique to make sure that your mind is not becoming bored and unabsorbed. Not unabsorbed, but unfocused on what you're doing. And you can usually do a little bit better than you think you can.
0: Yeah, exactly. When he was talking about playing a piece up, up to tempo or a faster tempo, mm-hmm. I do this with my own students. I... Always tell them, okay, here's the tempo range that you can practice at. See how far you get. And sometimes, like, I have students who are like, oh, I only did this at this one tempo, like 60 or something. Mm-hmm. And I'll sit there and be like, okay, let's see what happens when you bump it up to 80. And they're like, 80? And I'm like, yeah, just listen to your metronome. Let that be the guide. Mm-hmm. Find your quarter note, find your eighth notes, maybe sixteenths, mm-hmm. and trust yourself that you can do this. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, they do. And we see how fast we can get. Yeah. It's kind of really fun. And I only do this because. My teacher did this with me, because there would be moments where I would sit there, and she's like, okay, let's do it at this tempo now. Let's see if we can do it. Mm. And yeah, sometimes, like, I can make it way faster, and we would find our limit. Yeah. Like, how fast I can do. We can
1: do more than we think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's true, again, in other aspects of life besides music. We are stronger and more durable than we think we are. Yeah. That brings us to the end of chapter seven... How were you mm-hmm. feeling after these two chapters?
0: I'm feeling pretty good. I think a lot of this is just personal practice. Mm-hmm. And I guess personal practice and being kinder to myself.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot of this is just starting to fall into place. I really appreciated the chapter on trust because that definitely made it less hokey in my, yes. my mind's eye. I think that's... Is that it? That's it. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was fantastic doing this and we will see y'all next week. Yep, see you guys. Bye.